All right, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to join me. We've been in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 6. We're finishing up chapter 6 today, um, and then it's kind of a shift again uh, as well um, as we get to chapter 7. So we'll focus a little bit differently, but chapter 6, as we finish it, if you have a Bible, it kind of leads us into, and it's kind of a continuation. Chapter 6 is like this story that kind of just keeps building on itself. Um, and as we've been looking at it, we saw last week how Jesus had fed the 5,000, probably a very familiar story to many of us in this room. You probably had heard uh, of this story before. You've probably read it in Mark or you've read it in John and other places as, as it's expounded on, especially in John chapter 6. It's even given more detail. We see more of Jesus' teaching on uh, the bread of life and that he is the bread of life and he's also the good shepherd. And that he shepherds his people. But one of the things we noticed about Jesus last week is his compassion. He looks on the crowds and he looks on them with such heartfelt compassion that he's moved. And he looks at the crowd and it leads him to to hold off on the rest for the disciples. And hold off on the rest for them and say, look, look, there's these people who are... And remember the phrase, he looked out of the crowds, he saw this mass of people. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. No one to lead them. And so he looks at the crowd and he actually looks at them with with sadness and sorrow, but a desire to to lead them. But the problem is, and we didn't really focus on this last week because John's the one who focuses on this, but the people most likely are out there, you know, like you've probably heard, right, there's feeding of 5,000, so maybe, and it says men. And so, you know, many pastors and theologians and commentators have said, you know, that men have been upwards of 10, 15,000 or more people there. And that can definitely be true and maybe even is likely true. But there's also another aspect of the use of 5,000 men because what we learn from John chapter 6 is that the reason the people are there and they're with him out in the wilderness is oftentimes that's kind of where, you know, like when there's like freedom fighters and there's like, let's, let's, let's get an uprising. They're like building a force. And so potentially these 5,000 men are out in the wilderness ready to what John tells us in John 6 verse 15. I believe it's 6 verse 15. If I look at my notes, I would tell me, yes, it is. 6 15. And in John 6.15, it tells us that they, the reason that Jesus is going to, what we're going to see in our passage this morning, withdraws from the crowd is because they wanted to force him to be king. They wanted to make him become king by force. And so they were wanting this king to redeem Israel. They were looking for a Messiah, a promised one to lead them, to guide them, to, to not ju- but not just lead them, guide them as, their, as a king of kings and lord of lords, the god of all gods. Like, no, no, what they wanted was a Messiah to be this leader who's going to redeem them from the, the Roman rule, to free them, to be a, a, their, own, their own people, free from the oppression of other nations and other people groups. They wanted to be set free, and so here they are out in the wilderness ready to establish Jesus to be that Messiah who's going to be this, who's going to lead a rebellion, who's going to lead against the, uh, the Roman authority and, and free them from this, and they're gathering in the wilderness ready to do that. And this is why they misunderstood Jesus' teaching in the wilderness. They were ready for this. They, didn't, they still don't understand who Jesus is. And so if you have a Bible, look at Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 45, it tells us immediately, He, Jesus, made His disciples get into the boat. Notice that. He made them. He says, okay, it's time. We, we need to leave. You know, earlier when we were looking at our feeding of the 5,000, He looked at them and said, you find them something to eat. 
he's teaching them a lesson. He wanted to teach them more. He wanted to stay there. There's still more for him to be done, to be to do. But as I was saying in John chapter 6, now they're ready to take him by force and establish him to be king. And he's like, nope, it's not my time, and that's not the way that I've come. So he withdraws from the crowd. He leaves them, and he takes his disciples and says, get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. In verse 46, it says, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. In Mark's gospel, there's three times that we see Jesus praying. Three times where we see him going up, and each time he's getting alone, and he's away from the disciples, and he's alone with the Father. And each time we see it is kind of on a mountain top. And I, there's something that I, we're going to weave this through this whole passage, and Mark is doing a fabulous job of doing this for the person who understands the Old Testament and knows about the people of Israel and Moses. Because what we're going to see over and over again is Jesus is a greater Moses. He is the one who feeds them in the wilderness like we just saw. Like Moses would have been the one who in the wilderness as he's leading the Israelites as the Lord was providing manna. He is a part of that leadership there and he's providing. And they were looking to Moses to be this provider. And Moses kept saying, no, no, it's the Lord, God. God is the provider. God is the one who gives. If you remember, Moses got angry with the people. He struck the rock in anger. The Lord prevented him from going into the promised land. But while they're in the wilderness, and he can't help but see they're in the wilderness, they're away. Here's the feeding of the thousands, and Jesus is doing this. Jesus is this greater Moses. Notice, remember Moses, when Moses went to meet with God, where did he go? He went up on the mountain. Jesus, each time he's going to pray, he goes up on the mountaintop to meet with the Father. He is this greater Moses that we're going to see throughout this that Mark is fabulously and beautifully doing through this study through so far in the book of Mark. And so Jesus is up on the mountain. He's praying. He's communing. He's in relationship. I think, for one, this is interesting because we know from Scripture that Jesus was tempted. Not just the temptation that we saw in chapter 1. We see in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Can't help but think that here Jesus is, he's with these crowds, he has compassion, he's looking on them, his heart is melting for these people, he's looking at them with longing to lead them and to help them and to guide them, and they want to establish him as a king, they want to do it right now, and he understands, no, that's not the way, but can you, I mean, listen, how many of us like power? Most of us like to have control. We like power. We like to be an authority of our lives and our things, and here, these people are ready to establish Jesus as king. And what does he do when faced with even these temptations to go another route? Because what we find in the third in Mark is in, as we get to, I think, Mark 14. In Mark 14, as Jesus is in the garden, he's praying alone. The disciples are to keep watch, but he gets away from the crowd. He gets away from um, the disciples, and he goes and he prays. And as he prays, what does he pray? He says, Lord, basically he's praying a prayer like this, Lord, if there's another way, but if not, not my will, but yours be done. Three times he prays this prayer. He is always in relationship with the Father and always doing the Father's will in perfect obedience. But yet the temptations are real, the sorrow, the break in relationship by taking on the sin of humanity on himself that we were looking at and we were singing earlier. The weight of our sin falling on the Savior of the world. And here he is alone with the Father praying. And yet again, here he is away from the crowds, away from his disciples, 
on a mountaintop praying. Can't help but think and wonder what he was praying. Doesn't tell us what he prayed specifically. But notice what happens next when the always when the disciples are away from Jesus, bad things happen. <laughs> and like always. <laughs> and if you remember back in uh, as we looked at earlier. Uh, we were seeing how they're the first calming of the storm when Jesus was in the boat with them and he's sleeping and they wake him and they're freaking out. They're about to die. We're going to perish here. Do something. And Jesus calms the storm and they're amazed. And they said the fr- and they asked this question. They said this. They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They see that just he has authority over nature, and they're blown away by this, and they still aren't grasping, who is this Jesus? This has been the question that we've been seeing. And here on this journey, now the disciples are yet again on another journey across the sea. Jesus had made his disciples get into the boat, so they're supposed to be in the boat, and they go. But as Mark tells us, look what happens. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Again, if you go back to John chapter 6, John the Apostle, in his telling of the story, he says that they were about three to four miles out on the sea. So I think this is first miracle number one. Jesus sees them. I mean, it says he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. I mean, could, have you ever, have you ever, if you ever felt like that before, where you felt like, I'm just, I can't move. I, I have this dream that happens very frequently. I, I hardly ever remember my dreams. Like Amanda remembers them and she can tell me them in detail and it takes for days to tell the story because it's like she remembers every word of it. I'm like, by the end of the day, if I don't tell you right away, as soon as I wake up, I've already forgotten it about two hours in. I'm like, I can't remember it. It's so frustrating. But there's, there's, there's two different ones. I, again, I, I pitched a long time ago. My arm still hurts from those days and stuff like that. But I, I played baseball from like 3 to 22 or something like that, 23. And um, pitched and threw a lot of curveballs, a lot of things, a lot of stuff. But like my shoulder, so my shoulder, I mean, it still works. I throw with the kids and all those kind of things. But I have this dream where it's like I'm trying to pitch and it's just like my arm just won't like it's like it just won't work. It's like, it's like I'm trying to throw, and it's like the ball just doesn't have any velocity. It's like it just falls out. Have you ever had this one, too? It's like you're running, and it's like you're stuck in, like, slow-mo. I no, no, never had that. At least Jacob's, like, nodding with me. I'm not the only person in here. Everyone else is going, no, I never had that dream. Eric never had that dream. Um, and so it, it's, for some reason, and it's terrifying. It's like, and I know it's like you're like, that's your nightmares, Eric. Okay, you should need to let me tell story time with you later to tell you my nightmares. Um, but for whatever reason, that's is one of them. It's like you're being chased, but you just like can't move. You're like, like it's like the ground is sticky or something like that. The way this, this, this passage is described as them rowing in this heavy gale force wind, this headwind is painfully, the way it's described in the, in, even in the Greek, this word painful is more like suffering. It's actually the same word that's used with uh, childbirth. And, and so just if you're wondering, that sounds really painful is what I've heard. Uh, from, from my wife and many others, uh, and so super painful. <laughs> and, and so talking about suffering, and, and, and also the other time it's used in, in, as well in the New Testament, in the Greek, is, is with demons and its possession, the suffering they cause on demonic forces. And the other time the same word is used is also with describing hell, and the suffering of hell. So, I mean, it, he's using an intense word saying, they have been rowing for hours. I mean, these are fishermen. They've been rowing for hours, and they're like literally getting nowhere. 
But yet Jesus is on a mountaintop, potentially three miles away, and he sees them. I I think that's more of the God than the man part of Jesus, that God can see them. And here's what this morning I want us to look at. When I've read this, I don't know, a hundred times probably, this story, like in the past two weeks. Not a not hundred, that's a definite lie, so I don't want to say, it's been a hundred. I've read it a ton of times, a lot of times. Um, that's my wife coming through, she's very specific on, on, on those things, so I did not want read it a hundred times, I did not want to lie. Okay, but I've read it a lot, I've read it many times, and I want you to see some of the things that Jesus does. And what I want you to see this morning, and it really begins with what God was doing in my heart as, as we were singing that last song, is I want you to see the grace of God, the grace of Jesus in this passage it is beautiful to see. It's sad to see the response of the disciples. It's sad to see even the, kind of the ending. But what I want you to see is the beauty of Christ this morning. And all I want you to see first is this, is there's this aspect of grace. And we look at different aspects of grace. One is this, and one aspect of grace is this idea of uncomfortable grace. And that's the least favorite one. <laughs> Like, when we think of grace, we think of grace as like, oh, man, like warm and, warm and fuzzies, you know, all these great things. Like, God just bountifully lavishing himself on me and giving me great gifts and doing these amazing things. But sometimes there's an aspect of grace that's uncomfortable. There's a grace where God allows hardship in your life that is grace, though. It's the grace of God to give you uncomfort. And here the disciples are very uncomfortable. They are painstakingly trying to get across. It is, it is as described here in this passage, it's, about, it's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. I'm assuming Jesus departed from them much earlier in the evening. I mean, maybe they've been rowing. I mean, and if you've ever rowed before, like get on a rowing machine or you've actually been out on the, the sea, and if you've ever been against, I remember in um, Clearwater a long time ago, when I first met Amanda, I mean like not long, or first met David actually, uh, I was already met Amanda. We went on this uh, adventure on kayaks to this little island off the coast, and on the way I had just hurt my shoulder, talking about my shoulder and stuff, I had just hurt my shoulder pretty bad, and so it's me and Amanda in this kayak, and we're going Uh, to this little island or something like that with this group of people, different ones visiting the college that we attended. And I remember just rowing, and I'm like, Amanda, are you doing anything up there? (laughs) I'm like, my arm is killing me. We're trying. And it was just like, this is painstaking trying to get there. And it's like, it was was probably like a five-mile-an-hour wind or something. It was not much. You're just going against the current. And it was exhausting. I can't imagine the way this is described. They've been brutally working and fighting this storm. And they're going like, we can't get across. The Lord put us, Jesus put us in this boat, and we can't get across this sea. We've been fighting for hours. What happened to the rest we were supposed to get when we talked about rest? And let's get away quietly and away and all this stuff last week. Here they're fighting, and they're fighting. And what this is and what we're going to see is this is an aspect of what Jesus and God does for us. And it's super uncomfortable. It's this aspect of when hard times come in your life. I mean, the past five years, I, I, I could, Amanda and I, we, we, talk, we, just, we just had our uh, 16th anniversary this, this past uh, Friday, and um, we were talking about, like, what was the best year? You ever do that? You're like, what was the, one of the best years that we've had? And you're kind of thinking through the different years, and you're like, well, that one wasn't so great. That one wasn't so great. Like, you got, we had a few hard years, not in our relationship, but just in general, like difficult, challenging years. Um, surgeries, uh, both having both of our boys, she was sick and basically bedridden for all of those times. Cake and definitely uh, knows because she was there to help a lot for those. And, 
And so we're thinking through the, some of those years, and you're thinking through all these, these, uh, these, these moments in time. And you're going like, man, that was a really hard year, but... You see, the uncomfortable grace, we don't really sense it in the moment. We look back and we see, man, God was really good to allow that to happen to us. God taught me more through that than He ever did through the, quote, great years. I think we're in a season personally, or as a family, through a season right now of a lot of uncomfortable grace. And the word grace is, is interesting because that's the part that sometimes is uncomfortable for us personally. And I, I, I say those things not trivially because some of you have been through such hardships, such pain, emotional, relational uh, work, all the different things that can happen in your life and, and how that can be so painful. But I want you to see that God is allowing those things to usually, He's using those things to open your eyes to Him. And it's an aspect of grace that none of us would ask for. It's an aspect that we never would want. And personally, we wouldn't even want it on people. But in the sovereign wisdom of the Lord, He allows those things and He's trying to wake you up. He's opening your eyes. It's the grace of God. And it's an uncomfortable grace. But I want you to see, though, there's also this aspect that we see in this passage, not only of an uncomfortable grace, there's an invading grace. You see, as we just were seeing, Jesus sees. I want you to just see this. I'm going to go through it. I've, I've circled them in, in, in my Bible. Notice the different things that happens in this passage. In verse 48, and just in these first few, these few verses right here, and he saw. And then later on in verse 48, it says, he came. And then he passed by them. In verse 50, he spoke. Verse 51, he got into the boat with them. Over and over again, we see Jesus invading them. He does not leave them alone. He does not just watch like an old grandpa who's just kind of like this picture that we have, this old man upstairs who's kind of set things in motion, and he's disinterested in his creation. He's just observing from a distance, just watching how it plays out. And like, ooh, that was a bad mistake. Oh, another bad mistake. Ooh, man, he shouldn't have done that. That's going to cost him later. No, he is often, he's not often, he's watching, he's our keeper, we, the psalmist says. And here it tells us in verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, so this is between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes after them. You see, Jesus is invading in. He does not leave them to their, their own devices. He does not leave them where they are uncomfortable. He has allowed them to be uncomfortable. He has ordained them to be uncomfortable. He knew that they were going to face this headwind and it was going to be this treacherous sea that was going to be so frustrating and they're exhausted. They're to the end of themselves. Have you ever been there? The end of yourself. You get desperate, sometimes hopeless. You're going, where is God? And will he intervene? Will he do anything? Does he actually, maybe it leads you to question, does he care? Does God really care? 
Listen, he invades us. He comes after us. He saw them through his deity. He looks and sees. I mean, I'm sure he can't, as we say, as a physical person, would not be able to see three miles in the middle of the night in the dark and be like, oh, there they are, just struggling away. No, in his Godhead and his deity, he sees them because he's God and he sees us and he knows what you're going through. He knows that you're in pain. He knows that you're in suffering and he cares about that. Maybe because you've been through it for a long time or it's endured and it's endured even for this whole life. That doesn't mean he doesn't care. He, he does care and here he sees, he knows and it tells us he came. This is invading grace. This is God coming after. And I want you to see this next aspect of grace is is this revealing grace. He reveals himself through the storm. He reveals who he is. Oftentimes we don't see it in the midst of the storm. The disciples definitely don't. Because it tells us this here in verse 48, the end. He came to them walking on the sea. Let me just say that phrase again, walking on the sea. Like, Talking about the familiarity of Jesus and the familiarity of stories is Jesus walked on the sea. Have you tried that? I did as a kid. I did it a lot. I tried. You know, you're like, all right, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to run as fast as I can. If I can just move my feet really quickly, I can see if I can make it at least four feet. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> is my the only one? Man, y'all look at me with such like, you are an absolute idiot, Eric. Why do you do these things? I don't know. It's just one of those things. I may or may not have tried this a week ago, too. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but... <laughs> Justin, thank you, thank you, thank you for the courtesy laughs in the back. Perfect. I mean, the, 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 Jesus walked on the sea. Like, that is crazy. Like, this is not just a man. This is not just a man. This is, listen, um, uh, Austin read this earlier. L- listen to, to Psalm, Psalm 77. The, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. You see, the deep, the oceans tremble at the voice of God. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning, lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Listen, creation trembles at God because He's the Creator God. He's the Almighty God. He can walk on water. And here he walks, but it's, it's a really weird phrase. <laughs> what was Jesus thinking when it says he came to them walking on the sea? And then, and then Mark, leaving no details out, says he meant to pass by them. <laughs> Is that, like, there's a lot of different views on this. Does that mean like he's like, hey, I'm just going to walk by and let's see what they do? You know? Or like, hey, guys, I know you're struggling, but I'm just going to keep going. You would be like, what? Is he? You know, like, who knows what's going through their mind? But Mark gives us this because, as I said earlier, I want you to see this. If you have a Bible, turn to, to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. We see Moses. As I was saying earlier, Moses. I want this to be true of me. Something that I think I'm working on right now. Is I want to know God. I want to know Him. And I love how Moses in, in verse 14, Exodus 33, 14 says, And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will... This is Moses. I, lo- I love... This is, this is about said one of my favorites. I'm a pastor again saying too many verses are my favorites. 
And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Like, I don't want to leave if you're not coming too. Because your presence is where I need to be. We need you. We're going to sing this in this service today. We need him. And he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Like, you're, you're what makes us different. Your presence with us makes us whole. It completes us. We're incomplete without you. Come with us. And I and your people from every other people in the face of the earth. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Oh, to be known by God by name. I know you by name. Moses said, this is Moses, this is what I want too. Moses said, please show me your glory. I want to know you. Who are you, God? What are you like? I want to know more of you. What, tell me who you are. Let me see who you are, God. God responds in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. What a phrase, all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show, I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And notice what he says in verse 22, and while my glory does what? passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so sure enough, this is exactly what the Lord does. He passes by revealing himself and proclaiming the Lord. Look at verse chapter 40, 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Listen, you want to know God. This is what God said when he passed by Moses. Moses said, show me your glory. And this is what he said. He spoke. Yes, we can try to envision what Jesus must look like or God could even look like as spirit. But God has revealed himself through his word and through Jesus, the word. Moses couldn't look at God in the face, but the disciples here are getting God in the flesh in front of them. Face features all of it. They're seeing God in God in man. And they're looking at him. And here, Jesus is chosen to work through this, to this sea, painstakingly suffering. But what was he trying to accomplish through it? Reveal himself. He was going to reveal himself. He was going to show more of himself to them that they hadn't even seen yet. He was going to reveal himself. He was going to show himself to them. In Exodus, we see the Lord passes by to reveal himself. If you go to uh, 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah in the same thing. Elijah is depressed. I mean, he is so low. He is suicidal at this point. He's ready to die. He was just, take my life. I, it's over. I'm depressed. He's uncomfortable. He looks at everywhere, and he's like, I'm the only prophet left on all of the earth. There's no one else. 
They're after me. They've killed all the others. There's no one left. God, why are you leaving me here? Why is this happening? Where are you? In, in 1 Kings chapter 19, the Lord places, tells Elijah that he's going to reveal himself to him. He says in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, 11, he says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And then that's when it says, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And the Lord wasn't in the fire. And he wasn't, but what was it? He was the sound of a low whisper. The Lord speaks. Like this God speaks to us. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know who he is, and he's revealing himself. If you go to Job, though, Job chapter 9, I know I'm taking a little journey, but I think this is so important because Mark has got it. He's telling us who, what Jesus is doing through this story, and it's through a, an Old Testament lens. We have to understand the Old Testament to see this. In John chapter nine, Job chapter 9, Job, if you know the story of Job, Job's suffering, uncomfortable grace. <laughs> Speaking of uncomfortable, that's not, uncomfortable isn't the right word with that, right? Like, that's just some... Hard suffering. And in Job 9, verse 11, listen to what Job through his suffering can't see. Notice what he says in 9, 11. Behold, he passes by me. Talking about the Lord. He passes by. Here we go again. Passes by me. And I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. You see, Job, he knows the Lord is passing by. He knows the Lord is revealing himself to him. But he's like, I don't see him. And that's probably where many of you are through the storms. You're like, yeah, you tell me he's here. I've heard the, the poem of the footprints and, you know, when you only see two, it's the Lord's carrying me and all those things. It's like, I hear you, Eric, and I hear those things, but I don't feel it. I don't know he's there. I don't see him. I'm like, yeah, tell me that again, Job. That's me. But what I want you to know is that is not true. He is wanting to reveal himself. He's not trying to play cosmic hide-and-seek and be like, all right, go find me behind this star. No, he has revealed himself. He's coming after us. He invades and he reveals. And notice how he reveals. And look what he says. And this gets us to our fourth one. So our fourth aspect of grace is comforting grace. Look what he does next. Not just does he pass by, because the pass by is not like, hey, let me show you. I can do cool things. Look at me. I'm walking on water. No, he's revealing his deity to the disciples. And we, it's, if it wasn't clear through him passing by and seeing the Old Testament, allusions to the Old Testament, the echoes of the Old Testament, it is more obvious in the Greek especially, and it's obvious even I don't know why our modern translations do it exactly like this, but listen to what he says. But immediately, for they all saw him and were terrified. They think it's a ghost. They're, they're mortified. They, they're like, there's a, a water ghost who's coming that's going to sink the ship. That's things that they would have thought that would have happened. That would have been some natural thinking to think that they were gonna, they're going to be overwhelmed by some spirit on the, on the sea. They thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But, notice this, he didn't say, <laughs> let's see how long we can play this game. Mark uses his favorite word, immediately, but immediately he spoke. So again, we've seen already, he saw, he came, he spoke. Well, what does he say? He spoke to them and said, take heart, it is 
hey guys, it's me, Jesus. He didn't actually say that. He didn't say, guys, it's Jesus. Hey, not the ghost. Again, the way this reads is this, is him saying, I am. This is the I am when in the Old Testament, when you're like trying to figure out, who are you? And if I'm to go to Pharaoh and tell them, who is this one that's telling them to let my, who is this my people? He says, I am. That's all he says. I am who I am. I am has sent you. This is a designation of deity. And Jesus here is showing them, not just to show them tricks by I can walk on water. He's revealing himself as I am the God of all creation. I have authority over this. I'm not, creation does not control me. I control it. I can do whatever I wish to do because I am the sovereign God. I'm more than the Messiah. I'm more than the one you're wanting to rescue the rebellion and to raise up a rebellion against Rome. No, I'm the Messiah. I'm not just the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. I am God. You would think this is comfort. They're terrified. You would think, though, the, the, the crazy thing about this story, I think, is this, is they are terrified because they're like, I would be too, right? Like, I don't think we can all play games with this. You see someone walking on water, you're probably terrified too. Here they see something on water, and it's not like just one of them sees it and is like, hey, did you see that? And you're like, no, dude, what'd you see? No, they all see it and are terrified. But then Jesus is saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And it tells us they were utterly astounded. They were astonished. They were not just amazed like, oh man, that's, it's Jesus, this is awesome. No, they're terrified. They're like, okay, it's cool to see Steph Curry make a lot of threes and be like, man, that guy can shoot. It's crazy. But if he started levitating and stuff on the court and then dunking the ball, you're like, okay, that's crazy. It would amaze you. You'd be blown away. You're like, that's impossible. They're amazed by this, but they're not trusting. They're not, they don't have faith yet. You know, we can talk about amazing, like someone has amazing faith. Man, like, man, that person has such strong faith. What they have here is not faith. They're just astonished. They're blown away. Like, again, still going back to chapter 5, who is this that, that instead of saying, who is it that can, who can calm the sea, who is this that can walk on the sea? They're just utterly astonished and they're terrified. But it tells us something right here. It's very fascinating. And they were utterly astounded what were they utter- why were they utterly astounded? The way Mark writes it is, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. They're so confused. <laughs> They're confused. Who is Jesus? Like, we followed him. Like, he's supposed to be the, the Messiah. He's the promised one. But like the deity part is still fuzzy and very, very not much there yet. And every time the Lord is, see this as grace, he's revealing himself. He's patient with them. I could, we could keep saying different, I'm not giving you any more, but like patient grace. I mean, we could just keep going with this. Like God's grace is so amazing that it is overwhelming and it is comforting. It is, he is revealing himself. What a, what a grace it is that he actually chooses to reveal himself and to show his deity and who he is. 
But what's beautiful about this is this, that he did not just look at them and like reveal his deity. What does, it do? what does he do? He got into the boat with them. He came. He saw. He came. He spoke. And he got into the boat with them. He joined them. And then the wind ceased. The calm comes back. And they're blown away. But notice what it says again. Let me repeat it again, but then give the last part as well. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. That's strong language, hardened heart. You know whose heart was hardened? Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The religious leaders that have been described earlier have hardened hearts. They don't want to receive Jesus. They don't want to follow Him. They don't want to surrender to Him. Their hearts are hardened. Here, even the disciples are confused and did not understand about the loaves. And remember, again, and you might not have done this yet, I'd encourage you to do it, is go back and read John chapter 6 where you get the teaching of Jesus the day that He fed the 5,000. When he taught that he is the bread of life. He was revealing that I am not, because again, they're thinking the Messiah is like this Moses-like figure. He's like the, 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 um, the ancestor. He's, the, he's the, the next in the line of greats like Moses and Elijah and the prophets. Like this one's going to be this great prophet, this great leader. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be this great one who can do miracles and these things in the power of God. But is he actually God? That's the part they're not getting. And their hearts were hardened to all of this grace. God's grace towards them, and yet their hearts are still hardened. I want to come back to that to the end, but I want you to see one final grace, and it's healing grace here in verse 53 through the end. This is kind of a transition. I'm not going to spend hardly any time on it, but I want to read it because we're working through this book. But it's really a transition, um, quick story from Mark of just kind of encapsulating what's been happening up to this point. So in verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. We see this healing grace of God, but really, as we see this, the way that Mark is writing this, it's like we see some echoes and some similarities to the stories we've already seen. He's kind of like, what has happened already is just building. So, for instance, you know, when the people are bringing the sick on their beds to Jesus, this is very similar to the paralyzed man who was brought to Jesus by his friends. Many are now hoping to touch the hem of his garment because probably word has gotten out that this woman who had this blood disorder just touched the hem of his garment and was healed. So it's just kind of an all-encompassing story to show this healing grace that God had so much compassion towards these people that that he's redeeming the creation. He's restoring, showing the the kingdom is a restoring kingdom. It's a, a future picture of a heaven that has perfect where there is no more suffering, where there is no more pain. And so when heaven invades earth, he can't help but heal the sick and raise the dead and and bring sight to the blind. He can't help but do these things and restore how it was meant to be. This is a picture of the grace of God. 
who is here. But I want to ask you the question, because it comes up here as well, is what about us? What is our response to this kind of grace? Here their hearts are hardened. I want to ask you, has has your heart become a little cold, a little stale? To the things of God, to the grace of God, to the gospel, as I was saying to begin with, as we were singing that last song, like, does that just come off your mouth because it's what we do, is sing a few songs before a message? Do we ponder and contemplate the cost of our salvation? Do we... Do we want to know this God? Are we enjoying relationship with Him? Are we enjoying our time letting Him speak to us through His Word? Are we communing to Him through conversation and going to... Listen, last night, I could not sleep last night. It was one of those things, you know, I'm telling Levi all the time, like, bro, just go to sleep. You'll go to sleep. You always do it. Guess what? You always fall asleep. You'll wake up in the morning. It'll be great. Last night was one of those nights where I'm telling myself, like, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. It was like 2 a.m. and I just could not... It's like my brain would not shut off. But you know what I kept trying to do? I was like, Lord, rather than saying, Lord, just get me some sleep. Like, help me go to sleep. Instead of just asking for help, I said, God, continue to show yourself to me. I, I just, help me to know you. I'm like, while well, I'm awake, I don't know why you have me awake till two, but let me enjoy this time to, to think about you. Instead of looking at my phone till I get tired, instead of things that I normally would do, okay, so not perfect. Things that I would normally do, but it was, I, I was convicted at, from like, 12 to 2 and just would not go to sleep, of just thinking about God and saying, God, will you just continue to reveal yourself to me? I want to know you like Moses wanted to know you. I want that to be my heart. I want to know you in your suffering. I want to know you in your joy and in your compassion. God, help me to be that kind of person that, that because I know you so well that I know exactly what you would do in a situation so that I go and do those things. God, help me to have a calm and quiet heart before you. Help me not to fear. Help me not to, 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 to in anger, be so self-centered and selfish because of the things, the uncomfortable grace that you bring in my life. God, do these things in my heart. And so what I'm encouraging and what I'm challenging this morning is this. Don't let your hearts be hardened. Don't become stale to the things of God. God is revealing himself to you. He wants his goal through all of this is to show himself to you. He wants you to know him because he knows that that is what's best for you. To be loved and be known by him. This is his desire for you and he wants you and he loves you and he cares for you. And he went to great lengths to rescue you. But many of us, many, many, many of us, I like what John describes. And Jesus challenged them through the teaching of the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Earlier, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. But then right before it, in verse 26, John 6, John 6, 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
It tells us at the end of that passage in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And that's when he looked at his disciples in verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. These are statements that they're going to grasp over time. And we're going to see that they're going to grasp. And they're even going to screw it all up, even all the way to his death. But God in his grace wouldn't leave him there. He kept pursuing. He kept loving. He kept revealing. There's more facets of his grace that he wanted them to see and experience. And through the suffering, through the uncomfortable grace, through the, the hardship and through the trial, he was just revealing himself to him, and God, the, the heart was becoming soft, and God gave them a new heart. He transformed, and that's what it takes. It's not a like, let me get my heart to start beating again. No, you need a brand new heart. That's the way it's described. You need to be, as John 3 tells us, you need to be born again. Not a flesh. You can turn a stony heart to a heart of flesh. This is what God does. But listen, has God melted your heart? Has the gospel moved you? Is it changing how you live, how you interact with people around you? Is it changing your goals? Because again, when a man and I sit and we talk about like, what do we want to do? You know, you're looking at your future. You have those moments, those date nights and those things. And you're talking about your future and you're kind of future casting and looking at what you want to do. Like, what does your life look like for God? Like, is it just like, hey, we're going to make some more money and live a comfortable, cozy life and retire and enjoy retirement till I die? And then, well, I prayed a prayer when I was young, so I'll be in heaven and it'll be even better. Man, that's not how to live. Live on mission. Live with a goal and a purpose. God didn't just come to say, I want to save you so you can have life in the future. No, there's a life now and there's people and lives at stake and the mission is great and there's a need for the gospel to get to the nations. But listen, it first has to warm our hearts towards him. And as it warms in our hearts and draws us to himself, as he's revealing himself to us, as we get to know this God, we want to make him known. See, this is the mission of Redeemer Community Church, to help people joyfully follow Jesus and make him known. I want to help people know him. This God has revealed himself. So how do we reveal him to the world? This is a great book where God is revealing himself to us and he is desiring to know us and he is desiring us to know him and he is seeing us. He knows you. He cares for you and he wants to get in your boat. <laughs> Guess what boat's not going to be a part of a hardened heart. Hardened heart is the only one who's never, the person who continues to live with a hardened heart is never going to experience salvation and rescue and relationship with God. The heart that sees who Jesus is, responds in faith and trust in this God. Not just amazement, like, whoa, God. No, it's a, a faith that trusts that He knows what's best. And so, listen, whether you're going through a trial and a storm and that uncomfortable grace is overwhelming you, listen, trust that He is there, He sees, He knows you, and He loves you. And listen, if you've never responded to the gospel, I beg you and plead with you, put your trust in Him. Cry out to Him today. He wants to re reveal Himself to you. He's passing by you in the sense of He's showing Himself to you this morning through His Word. 
And if you open up his, this book, he'll reveal more of himself to you, and you can get to know this great God. He wants to reveal himself, and this is what Mark is trying to accomplish as well. He's trying to show us who is Jesus. He's a person. He's more than a person. He is God, and he's the God who can walk on water. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself. Thank you that you pursue us in your grace, that you don't leave us to our own devices. Thank you for getting in the boat. Thank you for allowing me to join you. Thank you for adopting me into your family. God, these are all amazements that are so undeserving. It is an undeserving grace, the grace of God poured out on us through Christ. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done and how he has overcome. As we were singing earlier, you do great things. God, will you continue to do great things in our lives? Father, when we go through the trial, when we're in the hardship, when the anxiety is too overwhelming, when the, the anger and the, the frustrations of life and the hardships of life get to us, God, help us to see your presence. Help us to claim the truths of Scripture that you see us, that you come after us, that you reveal yourself to us. So may we not be like Job and miss you as you pass by. May we see you and surrender and say, as Thomas, doubting Thomas said, when you revealed yourself to him and said, here, touch my hands and touch my side, may our response be like Thomas, my Lord and my God. May we fall down to worship you. Father, we thank you so much for these truths. May they stir in us a greater affection for you, but a greater service for you. May we live in light of eternity. May we live this life not self-centeredly and selfishly, but with a goal of getting the word out to let others know who you are. Thank you for your grace. We're amazed by it. Thank you that you have overcome the grave so that we can have hope and life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing, Lord, I need you.